the Sharks lose a tough game, 3-0 against the LA Kings on Jonathan Quick Knight. Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> All that and more after this. But first, if you want to be a part of the show and teal together and interact with us, check us out across all the social media platforms, that being the Twitter, the Instagram, Facebook, YouTube chat, the SoundCloud comments, of course, Reddit, and then all of the shenanigans that go down over on the Discord. But everything and all that and more (laughs) is on tealtownusa.com. I am joined by mark eisenberg mark how are you doing i'm actually not bad uh, um with uh out taking consideration of the game impact i'm doing pretty well thanks how about you <laughs> uh you know what i i've become numb to the situation right i mean <laughs> you know it's it's kind of at this point where we we are what we are and uh you know where we we know where we're going so you know just embrace that <laughs> but still, you know, it, it is kind of sucky, though, that uh, the Sharks get shut out on uh, on Jonathan Quick Knight, no less, and um, really just look flat throughout that entire game. And, and even from the get-go, I mean, in that first period, um, just it, it looked like both teams were, were skating through quicksand. Um, not really a lot of flow in, in either um, offensive um, zone. I mean, I think they had a graphic up with the total zone time, and for the Sharks it was two minutes thirty seconds, and for the Kings it was like four minutes and like fifty seconds, right? So it was it was nearly double what the Sharks had. But I thought it was very curious because it's like, what about the other, you know, eighteen? You know, not eighteen. Uh, what, what about the other, um, you know, thirteen minutes that was unaccounted for? You know what I mean? Like that's all neutral zone play and just you know a lot of um you know a lot of quicksand kind of stymied play and and I felt like that that's what we were watching in that first period I don't know about you but what did you see from that first period yeah um not a lot of strong possession from either team um the Sharks definitely looked slow um I thought the Kings were a little bit better in the first period um than the Sharks but for the most part just wasn't good hockey all around yeah, yeah, just just wasn't good hockey, and you know they ended up um, the 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 shots on goal ended up bearing that out. It ended up being ten uh, six in favor of the Kings, um, and uh, like I said, you know just just a very kind of weird flowing game. Um, and if we we take a look, I mean through through that first period, I felt that their um, faceoffs were were pretty good. I think. Through that first period, I think it was something of eight of ten face-off wins or something like that. You know, it was it was in the high um, high seventies um, in the eighty percentile range in that first period. But again, every time that they got the puck, even in the offensive zone, when they did get an offensive zone face-off win, it was one and done. It was literally one attempt on net if that it just seemed like there was no flow from the back end the, the the back end didn't really feel like it was um you know putting a lot of shots on net and and really um dragging the puck through the neutral zone i thought it was a lot of lazy play with a lot of lazy kind of passing um and yeah and again it just lacked flow and and i don't know come to expect th- this game looked very familiar of like a Dave Tippett Arizona Coyote kind of game you know what I mean just that kind of hard to watch yeah I hate to say boring but it wasn't like it just wasn't an exciting game all around and I think it got a little bit better as the game went on and teams specifically the Sharks started getting to get some chances um but I think yeah I mean it's reminiscent of like one of those games in the back when you'd watch the Sharks playing the Coyotes or maybe the Wild from back in the day before they actually got exciting and um yeah you just watch and it's just like oh god something happened please 
Yeah. It, through that second period, though, it did get a little bit better. The flow did pick up. Um, the shots ended up being 14-14. Um, so, you know, they did get some back and forths and even, but, you know, some even chances back and forth. But it ended up being a lot of it being on uh, power play time. Um, you know, the, the Kings would go one for six to nine on their power play. Um, but the Sharks would just take a season high penalties, a number of penalties. And, again, I think that that also – aided or or aided to their disadvantage in um in the flow you know they just could not establish their game um and and i felt again every time that they did start to to get maybe one or two good shifts within the la king zone they'd end up taking a penalty and it, it just would end up unraveling it just seemed like they couldn't uh, you know just get out of their own way i don't know what did you see in that second period yeah, yeah i agree it the penalty trouble today was kind of weird. You, we haven't seen that a ton um, from the Sharks like this, but it was just nonstop, like you mentioned. You know, you get a few minutes of five on five, then another penalty. And it was some of the more stupid penalties, too, whether it was like neutral zone penalties, um, just nothing. Stick needed. penalties. It wasn't like they yeah. Were, yeah, it wasn't, they weren't saving goals. You know, it was just penalties that didn't need to happen. Um, so it, it was hard to get a five on five momentum going or build anything shift upon shift when you're doing that. You know, you get a good shift together and then you're back in the box and you're killing. And sometimes you can get momentum off the kill, but that just wasn't the case today. Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the one the one power play goal that they did give up was in that second period comes 657 into the second period. Anze Kopitar, his 16th from Jersey and, you know, just one of those kind of yucky grimy goals that we associate with Anze Kopitar um he had been on a hell of a schneid so um you know for him it was it was uh you know a rewarding goal you could kind of see on his face the the look of relief because he hadn't scored in a while and he, he started off the season really hot but fell off um like I said though unfortunately the Sharks you know they would just continually you know shoot themselves in the foot and it finally burned them and um, you know, the power the, you know, the penalty kill, I'm not worried about, you know, one for six statistically is, is a pretty good night. Um, but unfortunately when you're not scoring any goals and you're not, you know, getting, um, you know, when you're not getting the grade A chances and then when you do get the grade A chances get stymied by the, uh, the opposition's goalie, because I thought Cal Peterson really stood on his head in that second period and, and really kept the Kings in it. Um, I, I think that they could have easily been tied at the end of that second, um, you know, with just the the kind of momentum push that you saw the Sharks have, um, but again, those self inflicted wounds from earlier in the period sucked the life out of them, right? So it just the consistency, and then you know when they did get the consistency going a little bit, you know the, their goaltender Cal Peterson was already locked in. Yeah, and I think Hurdle got a few good chances in there. Peterson made a few good saves. Um, and yeah, like you said, I think the game shifted back to a level playing field, if not a little bit more, even in favor of the Sharks there in some of the points in the second period. Um, but then again, the Kings are the ones who scored two goals. So um, that Kopitar goal, I thought it was a pretty sick shot from where he was on the ice. Um, far side, uh, Reimer didn't really have much of a chance on that. Um, I believe it was Burns who failed at a clearing attempt right before the goal happened, which I yep. thought was kind of crappy because usually he's got a hard wrister he could usually wrist that out of the zone pretty well but he failed goes right to the defenseman he passes it across and then suddenly Kopitar is hitting the opposite side post and in so it was a goal that could have been avoided um but like you mentioned I'm not going to really be sour about killing five out of six penalties especially with how that penalty kills done the whole season yeah and I thought that tonight's game was one of Brent Burns um you know, one of his weaker outings uh, of the of the season, um, and and I think he looked a little tired, and I think you could, you could kind of see that in the skating tonight. Um, but uh, you know, unfortunately, though, that the, the Sharks would go down again uh, from this time on a Philip Deneau, uh goal, his 18th of the season, Jersey and more. So Jersey factoring in on on two of those goals tonight. Um, you know, he's getting his 18th, and and this one, the you know, just losing track of the puck. You get Phillips and No getting a good chip shot in, and um, you know unfortunately finds a seam on Reimer. Um, but again, this was a failed clear. It was the Sharks had gotten kind of hemmed in on their own zone, the self-inflicted wounds of not getting the puck out of the zone, and again the Kings, you know, kind of 
what we've seen them do this year is kind of capitalize on the mistakes of other teams. You know, they, they don't particularly make a lot of mistakes, but what they do end up doing is if, if there is a turnover or if there is a, you know, a, a fumble on the blue line, they have burned a lot of teams that way. And, and it seemed like that that was kind of playing to script um, in that second goal from Philip Deneau. And, and what, a, what a pickup by L.A. I mean, that, he's been a revelation for them in, in extending their depth and one of the reasons why they are, um, you know, kind of poised to, to be on this playoff run here. Yeah, he's up to nearly 20 goals. Um, so definitely a good pickup. Um, that goal, you know, I'm not going to really blame anyone too harsh on that penalty on that goal Reimer I, I don't love the rebound but at the same time it's a tricky shot to pull in I think it hit him like upper right shoulder bounces it's kind of hard to control it as a goalie and I think he also had kind of lost track of the puck um Middleton gets beat I think it was Middleton um gets yeah. beat and maybe he could have tied up the forward a little bit better um but he wasn't he wasn't like in a bad position he wasn't in the wrong place so um it was just he got beat and it results in the goal, um, chippy goal, but that's what you need sometimes. So nice play um, for the Kings. Um, I saw Dursey. I think he assisted on both of those um, first two goals. And I hear his name all the time. Every time we play the Kings, I'm hearing Dursey throughout the game. Yeah. Game long. Yeah. He's one of those. He's one of those players um, that has really kind of uh, been a revelation for them in the absence of Drew Doughty. And, um, you know, again, another another one of those pieces that is, is kind of one of the diamonds in the rough for Rob Blake. So, you know, it, it's reflected in his ice time status. I mean, he had 26 minutes tonight of ice time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's, you know, pretty high for, for a defenseman of, of, you know, his ilk. Um, you know, he's only 23 years old. You know, he's, he's six foot, 195 pounds. So, you know, they're really relying on this kid. And they I think that they're going to. You know, I think he's going to kind of come to blossom as the next generation of of uh, L.A. King defensemen. So, um, you know, nice again, nice diamond in the rough there for sure. Um, going into that third period, uh, the Sharks, uh, you know, as as you would expect with the score effects, uh, end up getting uh, the majority of the shots. It was nine to three in favor of the Sharks. Um, however, again, those those nine shots kind of deceptively high because it seemed like a lot of them were low danger shots. You know, a lot of them coming from the perimeter. The the Kings really didn't give up a lot of great chances tonight. And, um, you know, the ones that they did give up, I mean, Cal Peterson kind of just stood on his head. So um, I I think it was one of those nights where it's not only are you playing up against the Kings system, but you're playing up against a a goaltender who – Maybe you know, maybe trying to shake some of the demons from that five nothing game. But what did you see out of Cal Peterson's game, um, Mark? That that just kind of kept them rolling throughout the whole game tonight. Yeah, I think it was just the best word is just solid. He wasn't like extraordinary because he wasn't really tested to be um, at that level. But I'd say the hurdle chances, and then Meyer had a couple of good opportunities that he stopped, and he made the saves that they needed. Um, so you know, he earned the shutout. I wouldn't say I think the Sharks shot numbers are a little bit deceiving um, off the top of my head. I would say maybe six or seven high danger chances the entire game. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, with how we've scored against the Kings all season, um, I think it was four, five and six. I want to say the three games we played prior. Um, but, yeah, it, they probably were looking for some revenge there, and Peterson gave them that tonight, especially in a night that's honoring another goalie. So that was kind of nice, I guess, for them. Um, but yeah, I think from a Sharks perspective, you watch that game, and it's just, it's kind of the same thing that when the Sharks have lost that you see. It's just like the same players play well. You know, Meyer, Hurdle, I thought they both played well. Hurdle specifically played very well, I thought. Um, I think Carlson looked good again, as he has since coming back from his injury. Um, he's carrying the puck. He's making really nice passes. Um, but again, it's just like I, I don't know, notice any depth, like no depth chances, no depth opportunities. Um, oh, I'm going to challenge just... you maybe a little bit on this one. I, I thought Logan Couture and Timo Meyer had had pretty bad games, to be honest. They're both minus two. Um, you know, I, you know, Timo had four shots on goal tonight, mind you, but he did have, um, two penalties tonight and Logan, sure. um, you know, Logan had 53% on the face off, so that's okay. You know, he had, 
almost three minutes of ice time on the power play, you know, three minutes, 13 seconds on, on shorthanded time, um, you know, three shots on goal. But, you know, those are two players that I expect a little bit more defensively from. You know, and Timo, I, you know, I thought that the, the two penalties that Timo took were pretty lazy. Um, but, again, I think that, you know, you, you feel for a guy like Scott Reedy because he almost scored, you know, almost scored tonight. So, you know, I felt that that fourth line, um, you know, kind of brought it with um, – I, I liked – I don't know that I liked Bolsters being on that fourth line, but I definitely mm-hmm. liked Noah Gregor and I liked um, Scott Reedy being together. Um, but you know, maybe having bolsters together with those two, you know, gives them a little bit more of a, of a playmaking guy, um, you know, with two guys that kind of like to, um, you know, shoot the puck. Well, one's kind of a crash and bang guy and the other one's a shooter, but, um, you know, I see the thinking there on that fourth line. Um, the third line tonight, uh, you know, Cogliano, Benino, um, and Nieto were just meh for me. I mean, you know, two shots from Cogliano, a shot from Nieto. Um, but you know, nothing really too dominant. Um, but yeah, no, I think to me, for, for me tonight, I thought, you know, Logan's line was, was the one that was lacking a little bit. I uh, agree with you on the line as a whole. I didn't, I definitely didn't like Logan's game. Um, and for the most part, I kind of barely even noticed Couture out there in a positive sense. Um, but I did feel that Meyer made some really good passes. He had that near goal opportunity that Peterson made a really great save on. Um, and I thought, while they didn't score on the power play, I thought they generated some opportunities and Meyer was usually involved in those. Um, so I, I didn't feel that he played quite as poorly as maybe the stat line looks with the negatives. Um, Hurdle, like I said, I think he played really well. Um, unfortunately, as like you know, I'm a huge John Leonard super fan, but I just haven't loved how he's fit so far on that line. Um, I keep hoping that he'll get a few more games there. And I think... Um, his work in the AHL recently has been amazing, but I feel like that line, when you're seeing the puck, it's pretty much all Barabanov and Hurdle. Leonard's made a few okay, like drop passes here and there, but I just haven't felt like he's fit in. And that's a top six line. You need some sort of production there. Um, he's so, a little trigger shy, you know, and, yeah. and that's, that's kind of timid. what I, yeah, exactly. He, he looks timid. Although I do like his puck retrieval. I think he his puck mm-hmm. retrieval in the boards has been good. And I think that that was the, the big knock on him was that his strength in the boards was not great, but I think he's done a better job protecting the puck. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. in in the fact that he, he kind of looks a little timid, he looks like a guy that, that is deferring a lot of shots. Um, and when you're on the line with, with a Barabanov, a guy who, you know, is, is very underrated in his playmaking ability, but a guy who, who likes to bring the puck through the neutral zone, who, who likes to kind of distribute, um, you, you need to shoot, you know, you need to be more of that shoot first guy. And, and that's what we need to see from, from Johnny Leonard. And, um, you know, I hope he does get a couple more looks up there, but he needs to really put the emphasis on a shot. On Leonard, I, I got to ask you if you've noticed this. It's something that I've noticed a few times, and it's kind of bugging me. And I don't know if maybe it's something that Bugner has um, told him or he's raised as like a concern from previous times being in the NHL. But I feel like he cuts his shifts so short. And Hurdle and Barabano sometimes are out there another 15, 20 seconds beyond that. Like there was a shift today that I noticed. And I noticed also the last game um, where they had the puck in the offensive zone. Um, they had possession, and then they threw it into the corner didn't really lose possession. I think Hurdle was chasing the puck, and I just saw Leno, Leonard bolt off to the bench. And I was like, they had been out there for maybe 30, 35 seconds at that point, and it was just a situation where I was like, what is happening here? I've noticed this a good half dozen times over the two games he's been with them. Well, he's just you're not, shorts. You're not really seeing short. things. You're not seeing things. I mean, he, he was the, the forward with the least amount of ice time tonight at 10 minutes, 20 seconds. And, you know, Dave B. Pilot um, – bringing this up and and i think i have to agree is the problem with with leonard is buchner i i I think that that is a directive from from boogie like hey look you know you need to get off the ice and you need to make sure that your that your ice time is limited you know very very carefully and and i and i think that that's by design i don't think that that's um you know i don't think that that's a coincidence that you do see that um which I don't agree with because if you're gonna if you're gonna put a guy up on the second line, you gotta you gotta let the leash off of him. You know, you just just mm-hmm. let him roll let him roll with his line mates. You can't be adjusting, 
you know, here and there, you know, tweaking each individual within the line, because then, then what you're doing is you're, you're also ceding to the other team that, Hey, look, you don't have a lot of confidence in this one player. He's being rotated out. Here's a guy that you can key off on when, when he is on that line, um, you know, because it is a guy that they are sheltering a little bit. Um, you know, it, and it bears out Rudolph Balsers. He had 12 minutes of, of ice time tonight, but he was on the fourth, the quote unquote fourth line. So, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of goes to show you where Bugner's thinking is. I mean, Logan and Timo both clocking in at 19. Um, you know, Tommy Hurdle with 2042. So, I mean, Tomash has got basically a minute, basically a minute over um, on, on Logie and, I don't know, man. I, I, I don't like putting forwards in that 18, 19, 20 minute range. I think you're, you're really starting to diminish, um, you know, you're getting diminishing returns at that point. I, I really do like to keep the forwards in the 17, you know, the, the high 17s, you know, 18s, if you're going to have extra, you know, power play time and stuff. And again, it just seems like there's not enough trust in you know the scott reeds of the world and noah gregor's of the world and jonathan dollins of the world and i don't while i don't agree that that should be how it is i i guess i understand in in which you know bob bugner's trying to coach basically for his job but look where you're at in the standings look what the pieces that you Mm -hmm. have on the team look at how young these these forwards that you're trying to integrate in you're not doing any favors to them by sheltering them, by continually tinkering with them while they're on a line and, and you know, screwing with their, um, you know, just screwing with their identity on that line. I, I really do think that it goes to kind of neuter the line a little bit and it, and it goes to show that some of the players are on shackles and some are not. I mean, what, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's kind of the thing that's been frustrating for me is because a lot of these guys that the Sharks have that I think are underperforming, I think it is somewhat of a confidence issue. And I don't know if it's the way they're being handled with Bugner. I don't know what goes on in the room, but I think it's fairly visible that even Dolan, he looks a lot of times like he's lacking confidence nowadays. And Leonard, any time he's been in the NHL this year, has just not looked like the player he was the first few games of last year. And I know these guys have NHL level talent. It's just a matter of finding the right fit for them and kind of utilizing that talent and getting the best out of them, which I don't think Bugner is getting. It looks like a team that is afraid to fuck up. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's what that, that that's what this looks like. It it looks like a team. One, the defensemen look like, you know, they look very scrambly, uh, especially, you know, Burns and, and Carlson. If they, if they cough it up on their blue line and, and, you know, they let the puck get skip over or whatever, they get all scrambly and, and they seem like, a little trigger shy, you know, from the back end because of worrying about the the transitional game. Um, it looks like the young kids are trigger shy and, and are, you know, afraid to fuck up in their own zone and, and you know, get stapled to the bench. So I, I think it, it doesn't serve the team well to be playing as if you're still trying to go for the playoffs. You need to start now looking at this kind of like in the baseball perspective of, okay, it's September call-ups time. You know, you you look at, at what you got in the farm system. You, you look at integrating uh, younger guys, having them be playing more. And, and sure, you might lose some more, but at least you start to get some more service time for some of these young kids. Start to, you know, get their confidence up a little bit and, and start to tell them, hey, look, like, don't be afraid to, to make a mistake playing your game. You know what I mean? Making a mistake being creative or, or make a mistake um, while, while t- trying to take a, a well-placed shot or something. You know what I mean? So I think you're absolutely right. It, it looks like a team that's that's tentative and it looks like a bunch of kids that don't want to screw up. Yeah, and I think that last point you made is the key. Like, we've got 20 games left in this season and it would take an absolute miracle for this team to make the playoffs. What they should be doing is trying to figure out what they have with the players that are either in the depth system, in the AHL, or in the bottom six of this lineup. And we've got a lot of these fringe players. So what I would be doing is I like the idea of throwing Leonard on that line, but then just give him the freedom. Tell him, look, if you do mess up, 
we're going to play you tomorrow too because I want to see what you've got and I want you to play your game. Leonard is not a bottom six player. I don't think he's ever going to be at the NHL level. He has to fit in in that top six. Um, and you're not going to get him playing freely if you're making him think he's going to get cut down to the AHL if he has a bad game. So, I mean, I did like that he kept him on the line and came back with him um, with those two guys for this game. And I hope he does for a couple more games. But I just still feel like there's something else there with some of these younger players that you just watch them struggle. Like, Dolan was very good the first half of the season. Um, I'd say the first 20 or so games, he was one of our better goal scorers. And then you just, he just hasn't looked the same the last 20. I mean, maybe that's the grind of the NHL season. I don't know. But I just I think there's something there between that relationship between Bugner and some of these guys that just isn't working. Yeah, and, and I think Bugner is very much one of those, you know, kind of stopgap win now kind of coaches and, and really mm-hmm. isn't one of those coaches to help um, you know, mature a team. He's not like a like a like a Cooper or or um you know, who else is a good coach of younger players? I, I would venture even someone like um I mean you I mean you look at T- Todd McClellan, I mean and the job he's done integrating the young players into the Kings lineup. I mean, you look at um, what Dallas Eakins has done with, um, you know, with the Ducks. And and again, you just have to look to the California teams and, and see where they're at with how they play their young players and look at where the Sharks are at and how they play and deploy their young players. And, yeah. I mean, no further do we have to look at six excuse me, 26 minutes of ice time for Jersey. And, you know, he's 23 years old. And, yeah. you know, who's carrying the water for the Sharks? It's Brent Burns. And, you know, this is this is a man that needs, <laughs> you need, you know, help the poor guy out. He's been shouldering the team for freaking a decade. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. And I feel like almost you mentioned the Ducks. You have someone like Zegers who's absolutely amazing. So I'm not comparing him to the guys we're talking about in the Sharks. But I feel like if he was on the Sharks, Bugner would probably bench him for a game if he like tried the Michigan goal and failed or something. And it's just it seems like that's the kind of coach he is. It's like, no, you're young. You're going to earn your stripes. And anytime you mess up, I'm going to make you feel it. Exactly. Exactly. Uh uh, Grand Desire 12, uh, thank you for, for checking in. Uh, er- hey, Erica Mark, hitting the like button to show support, man. What a drag, another loss. Ugh, yeah. Well, you know, I think, like like we've already said, you know, just come to embrace it. It's it, it's going to be okay. You know, we got to look forward to that high draft pick. But, um, but yeah, no, I mean, again, it, it's the way in which you lose. Tonight was one of those sour tastes in your mouth because, of course, you didn't muster any kind of offense. Uh, again, we look at the potential. You even just look at the potential of the team that's that was deployed tonight. And I think if you tweak the ice time utilization a little bit and you you know start to maybe make some bolder decision as to <laughs> making Andrew Cogliano, Nick Benino, and Matt Nieto a fourth line instead of your third line, um, you know, you might start to have something there. But until you get a coach or at least have a system in which you can have these young players flourish and not feel like they're going to, um, you know, get sent to the doghouse every time they make a mistake, I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, and so I wonder if maybe... You know, maybe it is time to start looking at a, a different, uh, you know, voice behind the bench, and you know, dare I say it, somebody with some fresh ideas that isn't of the Bob Bugner, Peter DeBoer, you know, line of tough nose hockey. I mean, what do you, what do you, what do you think, Mark? I mean, now that yeah. you, now that the hurdle deal is is in stone, and and you know, it is final pen to paper. Um, you can't change the players now. You know, the money is locked in. So you you only got organizational changes now. I mean, what 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 do you what says Mark on how to fix this? I've, yeah, I'm kind of um, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely don't think Bugner is the coach that's going to bring us to the next generation of winning hockey for the Sharks. Um, I haven't really been upset about him being the coach for these last couple of years because I've been part of the team tank where it's like I'm rooting for us to almost not be great so we can replenish the system, get some good draft picks, and I frankly just didn't care too much about the coaching. Um, I think this year it's a little bit more of a glaring weakness, and it's been a little bit more frustrating to watch with some of his decisions. Like you said, I still don't, I don't understand why Burns is getting 27 minutes a game. Like, 
he's not playing great. He really hasn't played great this entire season. And while he still has okay offensive numbers, I really think it's more visible this year than any that the time he's playing is weighing on him. You know, he's not in that young prime years anymore, and he's no longer that Norris caliber defenseman. Um, I just think there needs to be more balance there. And like you said earlier, I think Booner is in that state of kind of playing for his job or just playing to win now, maybe more so. Um, and that's kind of clouding some of those decisions, or at least that's me giving him the benefit for the doubt rather than just assuming he's a terrible coach. Um, so I think, no, and, and yeah. Ryan, Ryan Bayer, and I'll go ahead and add this to the chat. Um, you know, thanks for commenting in. He, so he's saying, are, are you thinking the Sharks are trying to tank and grab the first overall pick? No, I, that, that's not what I'm trying to say. And, and what I think what both you and I are trying to articulate, Mark, here, here is that the deployment of the young players, the concern that the players have to not mess up within the Bob Bugner system is part of the problem. Um, I, I think also if you did tweak the utilization of the kids, yes, there might be more mistakes and yes, um, you know, that therefore playoffs and, and wins on the win board might, you know, come at the expense of playing those young players. But you have to get them experience at some point. You can't just continually be like, okay, well, this is the future. The future is in a year, or the future is in two years, or the future is in three years. No, I mean, you, you got to see what you have. And I think at this point, it's pretty clear that the Sharks are not going to make the, the playoffs. Um, it's unfortunate, but, I mean, if you just looked at, or if you just listened to the ESPN broadcast tonight, their statisticians had it at a 1% chance for the Sharks mm -hmm. to make the playoffs. Uh, look, I am not a Nostradamus. I am not a statistician, and I would tell you no. You know, any chance is better than no chance. That being said, it's I don't think it's in the cards for this season. That's okay, but what I want to see now is growth and development. That's that's what 100%. I want to see. Yeah, and I I think that's what I'm looking for as well. We have this. Um, group of young players that as we've mentioned are kind of fringe and we don't really know what we've got with them yet and they're kind of not exactly that next wave we've got a bunch of juniors players that are coming to that next wave but we've got these guys that we need to really figure out if they're nhl players or if we need to move on from them it's a whole bunch of them there's a few of them in the ahl still like blickfeld shemilevsky these guys like i would just give them minutes the rest of the year and if they're not going to earn their time at this point it's time to move on they've been with the franchise for several years and it's time to get new players in there and offer new opportunities. I mean, like a, um, like a guy like Noah Gregor is, I, I, I love him as a player. You know, I think he's got a lot of skills and I think he's got talent, but he has started to got to unleash and play without the, uh, you know, w without that fear that it seems like he's got in his game right now. And if he can't do that, then it's time to see if somebody else can, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, like we had said, Chemileski, this is a guy that we touted, you know, a few years ago as, okay, you know, he could be a potential as a, as a, as a third line type player, you know, maybe even a fringe second liner. And yet he has just fallen completely off the face of the yeah. earth. Yeah. Just no development there. And, um, yeah. And like you said, even about Gregor, he's kind of one of the things that like, I just feel like we've had these players for the last four or five years that we like, and we want to find reasons to like them. But then they just never consistently end up on the score sheet and they never consistently fill the role we need them to fill. Like Gregor, his speed is elite. He's a good player and he's fun to watch, but he just doesn't produce. Um, Reminds and, like, me of Tory Mitchell. Yes, exactly. He's he's a Tory Mitchell clone in that aspect, um, minus the major injury. But like it, it's just we need guys who are going to fill in on these third and fourth lines and provide depth scoring. And we just haven't had that. Um, since that year, we went to the conference final. So, you know, it's not the only problem with the team. Um, but oh, there's a lot of there's a lot of problems with holes. this team, <laughs> exactly, for sure. And, and as Ryan mentioned here, I don't I don't think this team is even close to being a team that can tank because, despite the fact that they're not a maybe a playoff team or a contender, they've already they won too much, players. and they've already won yeah. too much at this yeah. point. Exactly. With Hurdle, Meyer, Carlson, and our goaltending playing the way it's been recently, like you're just not going to tank. And you look at some of those teams that are on the bottom, like the Coyotes. These teams are god-awful. They look like AHL teams on a daily basis. So um, we're not like that bottom of the barrel. But, I mean, I think at this point the goal should be to get in that top 10 range and hopefully cross our fingers we win the lottery. I mean, that's our only chance, I think, of getting near that top 
pick or two. Yeah, and and like it, you know another guy that we long lamented and, and thought he was going to be you know the the third line center of the future, Dylan Gambrell. That was a guy that we mm-hmm. waited a long time to you know finally try to get something, and he never he never did pan out. And you know like Matt Nieto is a known quantity at this point. Uh, you know, and I hate to bag on Cogliano and Benino, but I mean it's just like again that should be your fourth line. And and those should be guys that are like the the final complementary pieces to to put you over, not necessarily being members that are gonna you know Nick Medino took fifteen minutes ice time tonight. That's not something that you want from you know a forward who's at thirty three and you know could never really skate like the wind anyways. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? And definitely not the way he's been this year. Um like him and Cogliano I definitely think they've helped with some of the defensive aspects of the team and um with the penalty kill, but I I yeah, Benino I think coming to the season I thought maybe he'd be a serviceable um third line center based on his prior production, but there's been a downward trend for him for the last few years. He's he should probably be now in that fourth line role like you said. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate cuz I like the player, but you know, yeah. uh, you know, at this point, um, he's played 57 games. He's got 16 points. Last year mm-hmm. in the shortened season, he had 55 games played. He had uh, 26 points. So, I mean, he's definitely been on the downward trajectory. And, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's unfortunate because I, I, in, in his prime, he was a, a good player and a player that was, you know, vital to cup success. But, uh, unfortunately, he's just not that player anymore. Yeah. Um, that being said, Mark, I mean, you being on before uh, trade deadline, you know, we had the hurdle contract extension, um, kind of the state of the franchise, mini state of the franchise, kind of, you know, going through with the contract extension, how that resets, you know, everything and our expectations and what the team should be going through. Like, what are your thoughts and, and just kind of what what do you want to see? in the run-up to trade deadline and then on trade deadline and then kind of going forward? Um, yeah, I think it, the hurdle signing puts things kind of a little bit more in motion. Um, it shows that the team, I mean, they've said it before, a lot of fans kind of, and myself included, wanted them to kind of accept that the team's not a playoff team right now. Um, but they're obviously not accepting that. So hurdle signing means they're going to be going for it. So if they're going to do that, then I kind of want them to commit to that. And I think, um, at this point, with the way this season is, I think you need to ac- accumulate as many pieces as possible at the deadline. So I think you make a few trades. Um, I'm open to signing Barabanov, and I'm open to signing Middleton. I think they're both good players, but I think you listen to offers to see what you can get. Like, I'm seeing some of these these trades that are happening. Teams getting first-round picks for defensemen that I don't feel are much better or even maybe even a bit worse than Middleton. Um, if we can get a second round pick and a third or maybe even we do the good road trade where we throw in a mid-round pick and get a first round pick out of a team i think you make that move because then you can possibly be getting a top six forward or even a top pairing defenseman in the first round um so i I mean middleton you know middleton coming in you look at him and you look kind of like the comparable that josh manson was a was Mm -hmm. one of the guys that was thrown around as, as a comp and while i like Middleton's game and I thought he's he's very much stepping up this year I don't think he's had the longevity that um that uh that he had um or that he has uh but uh, Josh Manson has but um you know I could I could definitely see the second round pick and I could definitely see the second round and a prospect being a fair value for a guy like Middleton yeah. So I think they need to evaluate those options. Um, if they find that the trades aren't worth it, then I'm perfectly fine signing those guys. They're depth players that I think help the franchise out and they also won't cost too much. And then the team really needs to get another good player in the first round of this draft. And then this next wave should at least be in the AHL, or the NHL coming next season, whether it's Co, Gushin, Robbins, Ozzy. Bordalo, all these guys are going to be coming up, and even Eklund's going to be coming. Um, his season actually, I think, should be ending in the next week or two, so he should be coming to the AHL after that ends. Um, but I think, th- th- I don't think there are too many moves the Sharks need to make to become a competitive team again. I think they just need to make the right moves. And I think one of the glaring holes this team has right now is they need another elite winger um, mm. for the top six. Yeah. So. However they get that, I don't know how it's going to be, but they need another guy to complement those. Like, they have a solid four for the um, top two lines. You got Hurdle, 
you got Meyer, you got Couture, and I'd even throw sometimes Barabanov in there as a solid four for the top six. You just need two more good players to complement them. Now, whether that's Eklund jumping in and being a top six forward, maybe. I don't know. That might be another couple years away. But I think they really need that top-line winger. I'm going to throw out a name like a Forsberg type or a Johnny Goudreau, a player who is a proven talent that will elevate those players around him while also providing the performances we need. Um, if they're going to try and make the playoffs every year, they need to make some of those moves without sacrificing the future. So um, it's going to be an interesting it's I mean, be an interesting week. I want to see what happens. Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I, I still think that the team is a, still a good second, third line type of center. Because, all right, I you know, I, I've kind of already come to expect or, or not expect, but I've already kind of come to accept the fact that the Sharks are, are not going to have like a bona fide number one type legit center that like a Connor McDavid or a, a centerpiece type center like that. Yes, Hurdle. It was definitely a, 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 a 1B or a 2A type center, um, and same for Logan. So I think what you're if, – if, if I'm looking at this roster right now, I, I think you try to emulate somebody like a Vegas where you try to throw out three second lines, you know what I mean, and, and have Cog, Cogliano and Benino Nieto as like a fourth line. That would be a great fourth line complemented with like, you know, an Eklund third line with maybe like – bolsters and you know throw insert you know winger there um and then you know on that second line um i i'd really love to see jonathan dolan grow into that second line type player um but maybe it would it maybe it would behoove the the, the team to put him on a third line with a doll and, and like a, a bolsters have those three together um that way you can have you know, Barabanov and Hurdle with like a more established, um, you know, type winger. Um, and then maybe you could put a, a, a John Leonard with a Logan Couture and, and Timo Meyer. I, I, I don't know, but there there are certainly some permutations, but I definitely see where you're getting at with the top line winger. Um, and, and I think, you know, I would agree with that. Um, I don't know. Would you keep Eklund in the top six or would you try to put him as a center and really make him a therm? Dominant third line center, kind of when he start, you know, kind of start him, ease him in easy, and then kind of work him the way into the top six. I, I, how would you? Um, work it's him tough. In? I I would kind of take the hurdle approach where you start him on the wing, and then as he progressive progresses and develops, becomes more of a center. I think he's kind of small still. I've seen a lot of his highlights from Europe, and he still seems like he gets dummied a lot physically. Mm. Um, so I think he needs some time, I think, before he's a center at the NHL level. But the way I'm looking at that third line, and I kind of agree with you, I think that actually is one of the blocks between us being um, a competitive playoff in even top-level team. Um but I think there might be the internal players for that. I just think they're about two years away. I think next year is going to be that year where a lot of these guys who are either in juniors or college or Europe right now, they're going to need that transition year where it's either AHL time or NHL. And then I think they'll be productive in two years. And I think out of that group that I mentioned earlier, what you really need is a third line center and yeah. another complementary winger. And I think they're going to end up coming out with one of well, both of those. I mean, fills. Tom Tommy Bordalo really seems like he might be able to fill in in that top exactly. line winger winger spot. Um, the center is what I'm more concerned about finding, to be honest with you. Bordalo has played center in college um, with Michigan, and I think it, it just depends on his game and how it develops. I don't know if he's necessarily going to be a third line center type. Um, and I'd say the same thing probably for Eklund. I think they're more offensively focused players. Um, and at, at least in the next couple of years, I think they're going to be more complementary players than driving a line. Um, but from that group of next wave players, if we can get two, which I don't think is unrealistic from the talent we have there, to f two slots to fill NHL um, roster, the NHL roster in the top nine, I think you're going to be in a good place from the Sharks. And at that point, it's just filling what I originally said of that top line winger, I think, externally, whether it's via trade, free agency or something. Um, I mean, who knows what we're going to get in the first round of this year's draft, and maybe we find a gem somehow. But um, I think <clears throat> they're like three pieces away. And then, I mean, we haven't even gotten into the defense yet, but I feel like we have a few 
fringe players there as well that if they develop and just provide those complementary minutes, um, we have at least a playoff team. Um, beyond that, I don't know. It's it's tough to see this team really being an elite team in the next three to four years without some sort of miracle happening. I just I don't I don't know unless Wilson or Will, um, whoever is running the trades at this moment, pulls off some sort of amazing trade or one of our draft picks turns into, like I said, a miracle pick. It's just hard to see this team really competing with the top level teams. Yeah, I mean, Ozzy Weisblatt is a guy that got mentioned in the chat, too, um, as being maybe another winger type. I, I think what we're going to start to see, and because the way that the the organization has decided to shift their draft to go from targeting a select type forward going towards best player available, which is the way that they should have been drafting, mind you. But it is a it is a departure from, from the organization organizational's traditional take a big centerman you know continue to have good right-handed offensive type defensemen um you know take a big burly left-handed defenseman you know they they had some um some keys to to what they liked in their development system and I, you could see it from past picks and what they were trying to do um but i i think what we're going to start to see is that we're going to be a center short like a, a big center short in in the upcoming um in the upcoming seasons and the uh, you know like in the pacific division and that's that's what i'm concerned about is just that the sharks might not be big enough to compete with the you know trevor zegers and you know anze kopitars of the world yeah and two more um points i want to make on that so <clears throat> and specifically the mention of Ozzy. I think Ozzy is going to end up turning into more of a bottom six forward, and I think he's going to be a valuable one. I think he provides a lot of heart and grit and speed, and I think he'll – but I just don't necessarily see top six upside in him. Um, but on the other hand, the one player that I think is kind of getting floating under the radar for the Sharks is Daniel Gushin. Mm-hmm. Um, he is absolutely tearing it up on a god-awful team in juniors right now. Um, I know he's an overager or not necessarily an overager, but a draft plus two. Um, but he's scoring at a goal per game rate, almost a two points per game rate. And he's just going absolutely nuts there. And I think he has elite level skills. The only concern, which shouldn't be as much of a concern these days, is his size. Um, but I think of the prospects we have, he has some of the biggest um, boom potential. So if everything does go right there, I feel like he eventually could slot into the top six. Um, it's... He's more of a boomer bust player, like I said. I don't think he necessarily is a guarantee to be an NHL player. But if he makes it and everything hits, I could see him being an elite level player. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, I'm just looking at the depth chart right now. I mean, they're you know, Thomas Bordolo is what they have here just on the centers. They have mm-hmm. Thomas Bordalo, Linus Oberg, Alex Young, Max McHugh, Theo Jacobson, Ye- Igor Spearmanov. And I mean, out of those, I, Thomas Bordalo, but again, I I I'm just concerned about his his size as a as a as a especially a third line center. Yeah. Um he's 5'11, 181 pounds. It's not the it's not the necessarily the height. It's just that he doesn't. He seems a little lanky. You know what I mean. It just mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem like he's filled out his body yet. So I don't know. Um, you know, like you said, hopefully we'll get. Um, you know, we'll get some hits, and and of course, you know, if the players end up being good wingers, you can you can trade players, and you know, you can move assets and stuff to get. Um, you know what you need. Um, but again, I think what what I have like what I'd like to see out of this next 20 games or last 20 games is just, um, again, more utilization of the young players get to see really, you know, what you have and, and start setting expectations for next season and start at, um, you know, start the races and the battles for the jobs for next season. Yeah. And I'm kind of really hoping, I think it would be a great end to the season if we could have another Barabana type performance, um, it's like how we were all pretty excited about how Barabanov was the final two, three weeks of the season last year after we acquired him for basically nothing at the deadline. If we could have one of our young players do that, or maybe the Sharks find another random player who's just not doing well in one city or another, and they trade for him and give him a shot, and he you know, performs, that's that would give me some added hope for the depth of this team going into next year. Um, but 
haven't seen that recently. So, well, I mean, it's, it's TBD as to whether that'll happen. Um, but we got, what, four days to the deadline? So I think there definitely will be some changes over that time. I can't see this team not making a single move, even if they just use cap space to get a mid-round pick. Like, they got to do something, right? Yeah. They got to do something. And and Dana, thank you for checking in. Always, always a trooper. Always seeing you on the chat. So thank you again for checking in with us. She has a question. What do you all think about Goudreau? Uh, can he be a replacement when Reimer's time is up? Well, Reimer is an interesting question because I don't know if he's going to last throughout the rest of this season and or could be a trade commodity piece even next season if the Sharks do decide to keep him. Um, so, you know, let's just say for the sake of argument, you know, that it's going to be at least a season before we have to make some kind of, you know, real move in the, um, you know, in the nets. And from everything that I've heard, you've got a guy in Benjamin Goudreau that the, the team is actually pretty high on. Um, it was one of the guys that, that Joe will uh, highlighted in the media availability after, um, you know, with hurdle and uh, talking in on, on one of their players that they feel is going to be a guy that, um, you know, it's going to be a piece going forward for the team. I mean, his his OHL numbers in the playoffs are outstanding. Um, you know, you look at his um, OHL numbers in season. I mean, this season he's got 33 games played, uh, 3.58 goals against, and an 8.96. Not great, but he does have have some good pedigree again in the playoffs. And and again, one of those players that could you know, maybe grow into the role, but with goaltending, it's always so difficult. I feel like we don't really get a good gauge on a goaltender until he's mid twenties. I mean, what, what do you think, Mark? I mean, you're better at the dark arts of goaltending than I am. <laughs> yeah, I'd say, um, you're right. Goaltending is super tricky. Um, so it's almost impossible to project, but what I will say is Ben Gaudreau is the best goalie prospect we've had in a while, um, I think at least at the age that he's at. I mean, there was definitely some excitement over Melnicek, but he just hasn't worked out, I think, so far. Um, but in Goudreau, what I think we have is a goalie that's very much like a young John Quick in his style. He's very aggressive, very athletic, which is different from what we've seen recently with the Sharks goalies, where we go for that tall, positionally sound goaltender. Um, so I mean, I think, he's not, he's, I mean, he's not a shrinking violet, right? I mean, he's six no. to 174 pounds and he's only 19. Yeah. So yeah, you know, he's going to be a little six, bit, six, yeah. six, five, like Jones or Hill, but, um, a battler, yeah. I think a, a guy that battles and a guy that mm -hmm. elevates in the playoffs. And I think that that's what the, the, the team really did key off on. I mean, you look at some of it, like the OHL cup, the, the guy posted a, a 935 save percentage in two games, you know, had two goals against or, or you look at, um, you know, some of the underage 16 um, uh, tournaments that he's been in a 965 and a 133 goals against for, um, you know, North uh, North, North Bay AAA um, tournaments. I mean, you know, he, he does have some good um, playoff pedigree and I think he does have some good. Um, some good lineage, and I think he does have the physical assets to be a good goaltender. But again, goalies are just one of those positions that I, I, I say mid twenties at the very earliest is is when you get to get a real good clue, clue in. Unless it's somebody like a like a Carter Hart, right, who is just clearly a, or Spencer Knight, where they're just clearly above the rest of the pack at their age group for goaltending. Yeah, I think he's got a longer um, trajectory for sure. And I think what you should really look for next year is to see if he makes the World Junior Championship team. Um, he's been um, picked as one of the guys who people are expecting to possibly even be the starter um, on that team next year. So to see what happens with that. But I also, um, for the people who are looking at his stats, I wouldn't read too much into his stats this year because his team is not very good. And it tends to be tricky with goaltending stats in juniors. But if you follow me on Twitter, you've been seeing that I re retweet almost on a weekly basis him and his highlight reel saves. Um, they've really been pumping out content of him just making diving across the crease saves, just multiple saves, rebounds, everything. He's just been lights out with some of these highlight reel plays. So I think the... The foundation is there. It's once again, it's just goalies. You never know what's going to happen and who's going to develop into something great. So, 
Yeah, and and it seemed like for a long time the Sharks had that goalie factory moniker for mm-hmm. a long time, and especially under the Warren Strelo, um development program, they just they were cranking them out. Um, but Missed unfo- those days. Yeah, right. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, it's just one of those things where in an organization, you know, they're the strengths of an organization tend to ebb and flow, and and right now goaltending is just in one of its its ebb moments in in this organization. But I do think that that they have addressed um, you know some of the goaltending through the draft. Um, I think that this is also a team that has relied heavily on European free agent. Uh, goaltending finds and they always seem to you know scrounge up a goaltender out of out of some European league Um, so I know we're all a little concerned because there isn't an established goaltender right now I think you know both Aiden Hill and Reimer have two-year deals um, you know one remaining on their on their contract and it's a little concerning because we haven't had a, a fixture, a mainstay fixture in the nets um, in, in a little bit. I mean, well, since Martin Jones, and, and I think that that does leave, you know, some people a little uncomfortable. Um, but I will tell you the increased battle that we've seen between all of the goaltenders in the nets this year has been great. I haven't, I have rarely come out of a night's game saying I wish goaltending would have been there more or you know, wish you know, goaltending could have have saved the night. Maybe two or three times during the season have have I said that? Yeah. I, I thought goaltending this year has been far far superior than than previous years. That's for sure. Yeah, it's basically night and day the way I see it. Like I feel like last year, every game we were like, well, how would this team be if we had good goaltending? And now we're more like, okay, well, we've got pretty good goaltending. How would this team be if we had more depth or more this or this guy was playing better? So it's no longer the focus there. If anything, Reimer's been um, right there up with Timo in terms of like team MVP. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and look, I thought I I thought Aiden Hill when he has been healthy and has you know really gotten into a groove, I I think he has been serviceable. Um, you know, I'm not as down on him as you know as as Ian. I know Ian Ian thinks that he's just another guy, but you know, I I don't. You know, I don't think that he's he's had a terrible season this year. He's got a nine oh six eight percentage, two point six six goals against. So that would tell you average. Right. And and I think that that's last year we were just begging for average goaltending. So, um, you know, that being said, Reimer tonight would end up posting the 923 save percentage. Um, and I and like you had said, I think he's been co-team MVP. He's kept this team in a lot more games than he should have. Um, and I don't know, going into next year. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting. I think I'm of you though. You just try and maximize what you can out of um, out of this trade deadline. If you get your socks blown off by an offer for um, you know for a James Reimer, then you, you explore it. Um, you do that risk reward assessment. If the if it doesn't seem like the reward is is as good as you know the the loss of a James Reimer, then you don't pull the trigger. Um, and, and you, you keep them and you keep them for next season. And that gives you just a little bit more space to, to groom a guy like Goudreau into the, into the backup spot if you want. It. Um, but yeah, I mean, try to maximize what you can, um, with same with a Middleton, same with, um, with a guy like Cogliano. Um, and, and from there, you know, you, you again, I just want to see that growth. Yeah. <laughs> This time next week, I hope we have a few more draft picks. I think that's really what it is for me. Yeah, preferably second rounders, but or above or first if we're lucky. But yeah, something oh in that goodness. range. If you could, if you could somehow swindle a first round pick for uh, you know Jake Middleton, um, mm. that's larceny at the at, you know at its finest. So um, let's see what the what the Sharks organization can do. They always make things interesting, even if it's just the small little deals. They always seem to add intrigue. Last year Barabanov was one of those guys, little intrigue kind of deal and you know we've seen what he's added for, you know, a season plus. So um we'll see what the organization will do. Uh that being said, Mark, uh what are you up to these days and uh, where where the people can find you? Um you know, just been really busy. New York City life is kind of back to normal here a little bit, which I guess is a good thing. 
Um, so just been very busy, but uh, they can find me as always at Marky Mark SJS on Twitter, constantly tweeting about Sharks prospects, retweeting Benny Gaudreau videos, <laughs> and doing lots of things like that. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Um, and as far as me is concerned, you can use my first name. That's Eric, E-R-I-K, Landy, L-A-N-D-I, across all the social media garbage platforms. Uh, the next couple of weeks, uh, I will be out. Um, so I won't be coming back at you on another After Dark until I believe it is the 30th. I want to say, but it's the end of the month, um, and I will be out uh, in the wilderness of Zion, uh, doing some, uh, uh, doing a male bonding trip, so to speak. It's a, it's a friend's bachelor party, so we're going to be out there for a week, uh, doing some hiking, doing some kayaking, maybe, um, you know, just, just hanging out on the outdoors and stuff, and uh, you know, kind of resetting before his, his, uh, his big day. And uh, as far as, uh, as far as any of the other adventures are concerned, yeah, check out all the social media platforms. And uh, in case you missed us, uh, check us out across all of the podcasting platforms, that being the Apple Podcast Store, the Google Play Store, the YouTube Rewind, SoundCloud, of course, Spotify, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, all that and more across TealTownUSA.com. And let's see if I can do this right. Keep it real. Keep it teal. Keep it real, Teal. Thank you, everybody, and have a great night. We will see you after the next one.